Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. I hate saying it. It's, it's usually execution. It's the basics. It's, it's the time to follow up on that first call. It's how well did you build rapport, establish some, some relationships, ask questions, and really qualify whether the problem that the person is trying to solve, the company's trying to solve, is something that you can truly solve. You know, happy ears, right? We're here talking about sales. I love the phrase happy ears. Like how many times does a salesperson get on a call? Oh my God, we could close this, this is it. And then they jump to like demo and they miss those five, 10 steps in between, which is actually architecting a solution, co-architecting, co-creating a compelling event and a solution with a buyer. Like it's, it's too bad, but I think it's improving. And I think we're, we're gonna, we're going to improve it together and your show's great. And the work that we're all doing together in the industry is helping us get there. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That is Eli Cohen. Eli is the co-founder and CEO at Saleshood. And in this episode, Eli and I have a very interesting and wide-ranging discussion about sales enablement and sales performance. And we dig into the data about trends in quota attainment and win rates and sales productivity to examine the question about whether B2B sales as a discipline is getting better, improving, or collectively performing at lower levels than in previous years. And then we explore what sales enablement can and should be doing to make sure the needle moves in the right direction. So we get into this and much, much more. But before we get to Eli, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. Let's jump into it with Eli. Eli, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Pleasure to have you here. Gosh, we've been trying to do this for a while. I'm glad we finally got it together to do. And here we are. I love it. So uh, for people who don't aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about what you, what you do, and uh, we'll start there. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. My name is uh, Eli Cohen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Saleshood. And, uh, you know, Saleshood is a purpose-built, all-in-one sales platform. We're a software company and we are maniacally focused on helping companies uh, lift the productivity of their teams, efficiency, effectiveness. A little bit more about myself. I've written a couple books. One book is, is titled Enablement Mastery, which is all about helping companies embrace enablement as a growth lever. Previous book is for frontline sales managers and it's titled Saleshood and it's how to, how to build winning, how winning sales managers can build the right culture. And it's all based on some amazing work I've done in the last 
eight, nine years working with some of the fastest growing companies. And, and prior, I was the senior vice president of sales enablement over at salesforce.com. So I got to run enablement at the fastest growing SaaS startup during the hyper growth years. And I, I, and I got to collaborate very closely with Benioff on it and with some amazing leaders. And we really, I, I'd say we pioneered sales enablement back 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. 2007. And, uh, and so that's a little bit about me and, uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> talk, let's talk about enablement is, is so how have things changed for the better since then? And where are the challenges still going forward with enablement? Yeah. So, so first of all, I think it's amazing to see the enablement profession is, is kind of, uh, it's hot, right? If I look at mm-hmm. 2005, and, and you were to do a Google search on sales enablement, you do Google trends, it's like zero. And, right. and today it's, it's up and to the right. There are over 45,000 enablement practitioners on the planet now. Those are people that have enablement in their title. I think you mm-hmm. listen to earnings calls and you listen to CEOs and CROs and the question of how do we get more of our teams to be efficient? How do we get more teams to be effective? And how do we lift the sales efficiency of our organization faster? That's that's a boardroom level conversation. And the answer is with sales enablement, whether it's software services, but, but you need a strategy. And, and, and I think uh, that's, what's really changed is it's, it's a board level room conversation right now. And, uh, and, and then, and then even what's changed like in the last, wow, like here we are in 22 and, mm-hmm. and we're on the, we're at the beginning of a recession maybe ish, you know, depending on possibly, who you're talking yeah. to possibly. And uh, slow down. I think it's very interesting in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Slow down. 2008, 2009. I remember getting called into an office, Mark Benioff's office and uh, you know, same, same, same kind of energy. You know, there was a downturn coming. Folks are buckling up. Folks were tightening their belts. And, and uh, you know, I remember Mark said, listen, here's what we're going to do. Let's hire more salespeople and, and let's double down on sales enablement and let's 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 be there and let's be ready when the market turns. Because now people are going to need cloud more than ever. Remember cloud back then, folks were like, right. what's cloud? I knew, right. What's cloud, right? What's cloud? Well, you know, folks are yeah. going to need us more. And uh, and so I think some of the some of the smart leaders out there right now, some of the leading companies, uh, there are a lot of layoffs happening. We're seeing it. But. But lead, but there's some leaders that are doubling down, tripling down. Like I did a call yesterday with one of our customers, and uh, and, and while they did do a layoff, at the same time they're telling their sales team and their and their go-to-market teams, hey, we had to we had to do the layoff because we had to kind of right right size the organization, but mm-hmm. we're still doubling down on sales enablement, and we're still leaning into the training and the coaching and the tools. And hence why we're going to do more with saleshood and with the saleshood team. So that's what I'm seeing right now. And uh, I don't know. What are you seeing? Well, I think a lot of it is, is um, you know, sort of the psychology that people think that things are going to be worse than they actually are. Because certainly the data is coming out saying that, yeah, consumer sentiment is worse actually now perhaps than in, in business sentiment than in 2008, 2009. But the underlying fundamentals are much better than they were then. Uh, you know, inflation is starting to slow down. We're starting to see employment is still, still full employment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people are being a little reactionary. I do. To your point. And those who are being more strategic and saying, yeah, now's the time. Let's take advantage of the opportunity. Because for me, I think the opportunity right now for companies that are actually doing what you talked about, that are going to get serious about learning how to sell. Yeah. Right? 
I think for so many, especially in the tech space, they've sort of gotten by the last 13, 14 years. Hey, we generate tremendous deal flow. We close just a small percentage of them and, and we'll be okay. Yeah. But what, what do you do suddenly when customer dollars start slowing down and you've got the same number of competitors out competing for a smaller pool of dollars? The ones who win are the ones that really know how to help the customer make a good decision. Yeah, and, and solve problems. I uh, And solve problems, right. Solve problems. The other thing I'll comment on is... Um, you, you know, to your question, comparing kind of where we were, where we came from, I'm really, you know, impressed with, with Gartner and Forrester in the last two, three years, how they've really invested a lot and they're really helping to evangelize sales enablement. So kudos to them and other analysts. I think that's really good. G2, right? Like all these firms are really doing a good job to help educate the market and drive awareness uh, around right. it. I think uh, it's really, um, it's really, it's really great to see. And uh, the other thing, the other thing I'm noticing, just last point is, um, so, you know, over the years with all the VC funds and tech flowing in and, and, you know, companies could over invest in capacity and still mm-hmm. make their numbers. And, you know, you know, yeah, they have like a hundred million dollar, $50 million, you know, kind of run rate quota, new business, they hire, you know, they're, you know, the, 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 the spreadsheets say, you know, 50 reps, million bucks quota. So they'll go hire a hundred reps, assume 50 of them make it. And I think we've lost that. And, and, and I think it's better because now we're actually really investing in, in the skill and the craft of selling. And now when a salesperson calls on a customer like that, the, every meeting matters more. Every conversation needs to be that much more effective. Every question you ask needs to be more purposeful and thoughtful. Those emails need to be more choreographed and orchestrated and organized. And, and that I'm excited about because I think now it's not just about let's see what we can do and knock on doors. And now we're getting really professional about the art of selling and sales enablement is there to lift them up. I agree 100% because I think a lot of these data points that we've seen over the last 10 years, right, declining quota attainment and falling rep productivity and win rates is falling and so on is people sort of got lazy. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, I hate saying it, but uh, the basics, some of the basics have been forgotten in terms of how to execute, how to be curious, how to ask questions, how to follow up. Right. And so I wonder, yeah, whether we, things get tight and people have to really focus down, duckle, you know, as you said, double down on the basics and fundamentals. Do we start seeing a shift in those trends? I, I, I believe we will, right? I think, uh, you know, when we work with companies, they usually come to us and they've got a 20 to 30% attainment number. Just like take a moment, like 20 to 30% of their salespeople, their quota carrying reps are hitting quota. And, and so now we can, we can boast when we work with companies that within six months, nine months, 12 months, they're seeing it increase and getting closer to 50 to 60% number, which still isn't like, it's not bad. It's better than what it was. And, it's got to be better than 50, right? Better than 50. And, and, and I think, I think, uh, I think the, the CROs, sales leaders, revenue leaders are now going to be tasked with the challenge of, you know, lifting that attainment number closer to 70 to 80. And, uh, and, and, and maintaining that level and being accountable for that number, at least 70 to 80% attainment. Right. But this could be a huge culture shift for many sales leaders because I've had many, 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 many on this show. And, you know, the companies are sort of growing, but they're at 20%, 22% win rates. And it's like. Yeah. Why not win every deal? Like, I don't understand. Why not? Yeah. I don't understand that. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. And so I told one CEO who was on the show, I said, you know, if you're only winning one of every five of your deals, you've got one of two problems. You don't have product market fit. Yep. 
or you just really suck at selling. Yeah. Right. And, and the problem isn't, yeah, you're so focused on generating more deal flow as it's not deal flow. You maybe have too many prospects. Yeah. It's usually execution. I yeah, hate it's saying execution. It. It's, it's usually execution. It's the basics. It's, it's the time to follow up on that first call. It's how well did you build rapport, establish some, some relationships, ask questions and really qualify whether the problem that the person is trying to solve, the company's trying to solve is something that you can truly solve. You know, happy ears, right? We're here talking about sales. I love the phrase happy ears. Like how many times oh, yeah. does a salesperson get on call? Oh my God, we could close this. This is it. And then they jump to like demo and they miss those five, 10 steps in between, which is actually architecting a solution, co-architecting, co-creating a compelling event yep. and a solution with a buyer. Like it's, it's too bad, but I think it's improving. And I think we're, we're going to, we're going to improve it together and your show's great. And the work that we're all doing together in the industry is helping us get there. Yeah. I tell people, I think you will know that we're heading in the right direction when the most popular conferences in the year aren't inbound and outbound. They're not about top of the funnel. The, for me, the most, we're knowing in the right direction if we have a sh conference that is discovery and qualification. Oh my God, I love that's that. That's the name of the conference, right? <laughs> that would be the conference. If we know that's the hot one that everybody wants to go to, Yeah, we're going in the right place. We, uh, we're, doing, we're doing a rollout next week. This is you know high-flying tech startup raised hundreds of millions of dollars and, uh, you know, and, and doing great. They're, they're, like, they're, they've done great, you know, in, in spite of kind of all these execution issues. And, uh, you know, and we've done an assessment to figure out like, okay, what's working, what's not working, why is the attainment not where it needs to be? And guess what number one issue is? You know, they don't have conversational competence around, you know, being curious. And, and so mm -hmm. next week they're bringing their leaders together and they're rolling out, my team's rolling out discovery training, qualification training for a full day, just on that topic as a precursor sure. to rolling out to the broader organization. It's that important. So I love that idea, like a, a, a discovery yeah. conference. <laughs> it's genius. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, as I plug my book here, as, as I said, there are four pillars for me in success, connection, curiosity, understanding, generosity. And I love that. Yeah, and that's that's what's you know success for me. That's what's built around in yeah. sales. To be able to connect with someone, to build credibility and trust. Yeah, you need that trust there so that you can ask and get the answers to the questions that you're asking. Yeah, that lead them to an understanding of the things that are most important to the buyer in terms of the challenges they face and the outcomes they want to receive, and then the generosity in terms of how you help them in an effective way make progress toward making a decision. Yeah, and you know. So Sometimes like we've lost deals and, and we all have, and uh, sure. oh, but it's how you lose the deal. I love the word generosity and gratitude, right? It's, it's, you know what, coming to a general conclusion that there isn't a fit and, and guiding them in the right direction is, is they'll forever remember that. And the next time they've got a problem and if it's closer fit, they're going to, they're going to buy from you because they're going to trust you and they're going to know you're yep. going to help them. I love that. I love that. Well, and it gets back to a point that, that you touched on before is, is and I think that the too many leaders and sellers don't get this, is you have a choice who to sell to. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, just because they're there and they're interested doesn't mean they're worth your time and attention. Yeah. And this idea of, I think we have done a disservice to so many sellers over the years when we, we lay out these linear sales processes to say, you know, here's a stage, this discovery, and it's Night little box, and here's a stage qualification. It's this nice, tight little box. It's like 
not the way the world works. You keep discovering up until the time practically you you sign the order. Yeah. You keep qualifying. So if a company has a fifty million dollar quarter and and they've got and the, the the business plan states capacity of like seventy five reps, you know they you know underachievement overachievement with the with the quota, and then and then they build a marketing model pipeline generation model that's going to feed that fifty to seventy five million dollar number, and then they go hire one hundred fifty reps. So you talk about the mindset, and then and then that means they've got that they, not enough pipeline to go around. And then as a seller, I'm like, well, I got I got six deals. So I, I only have six deals where if they really had the right size capacity, then maybe they'd be able to qualify the 20 and and then be. And, and I, I think that's it's an interesting point. I think that's really hurting the brand of the company and the salesperson's right. credibility. Oh, absolutely. That's such a great point. You bring up. It's hurting the brand of the company, right? It's, it's, I, again, something that people don't put together is your sellers are representing the brand of the company. Right. Absolutely. And, and it, it degrades the brand equity of your your corporate brand. Yeah. If you're making an implicit promise that this is the way our sellers. I think this is this is, I think, a confusion for many sales leaders is they think, well, this is our sales culture. And I said, no, no, no. Your sales culture is what you tell yourself about how you sell. But your brand as a sales organization is the way the customer perceives and receives how you actually sell. And there's always a gap between them. And that gap, I think, creates real performance issues because, you know, people walk down, leaders march down a path thinking this is the way we sell, and they don't really bother asking the buyers, yeah. how are we selling? How are we doing? Right? Not just do we win or lose, because it's really not over about product and price. It's about, yeah, you know, we didn't get a good connection with the, with the seller. They didn't really, you know, ask us the questions we needed to tune into our needs. It's all on the human side more than, you know, Product, price and features. No, dead on, dead on. I think it's great. I love that distinction between brand, company culture, sales culture. It's, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm internalizing it right now. I like it. Oh, <laughs> good. I'm glad you like it. We've got something coming out on that. Um, yeah, good. no, it's, it's. I mean, I, I'm interested in your take on this. Is, is because I've long believed that, especially a complex B two B, is that buyers. I like the jobs to be done theory, right? Buyers basically are hiring salespeople to help them complete a job, which is to make a decision. Yeah, make an right. to solve a problem so solve they can accelerate, right. do something better, faster, better, whatever right. the problem is that they're solving. And so, yeah, I have conversations with sales leaders and they're talking about hiring practices and we got a hiring process and so great. So do you ever ask your buyers what they need your salespeople to be? Yeah. What do they need from your salespeople to help them get this job done? And the answer is no, they never do. I mean, isn't that asking you, isn't that like, seems like a very logical thing to do, right? Yeah. I, 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 I like the direction that we're going in, in the industry, in the world, software sales, B2B sales, and then it'll have a ripple effect across other industries. Cause I think we're really leading the way, but the, you know, moving from a linear sales process to a buyer's journey and then and then moving into a buyer's journey that is not necessary is, is, is digital. And 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 I think, uh, um, you know, you see kind of the the resurgence, not resurgence. Maybe that's the wrong word. You're everyone's talking about MedPick and Medic these days and 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 decision process, decision criteria, paper process. Right. There's there's something there about. Uh, buyers being empowered 
to write down what's important to them and, mm-hmm. and then communicating that in their, in their decision process and in their decision criteria. And I think uh, um, sellers need to be great at asking questions to assess whether there is a fit there. Uh, but, you know, the metaphor I've always used and I, and, and when I meet people, talk to people, talk to companies, talk to kickoffs, keynotes is like keynotes, you know, you're, you're a guide, you know, you're a river guide and you're, you're, you're guiding your customer to their destination. And, 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 and I think, um, I love that. Like, like why not in the process, you know, buyers should, should, you know, they should be sharing what's important to them. And, and I think the best sellers are the ones that can, you know, ask the question, what's important to you right now in this process? What do you need? Cause some buyers will say, Hey, I get from your website. I just need price. Yeah. Others will say, guide us, guide us. And, and, and in software where most are in category creation, most are in early stage. And, and, and when you're trying to differentiate against competition, and we talk about win rates, why win rates are so low, you know, when you're competing on features and price and you're not competing on, on differentiated value and value creation and having these consultative conversations, that's the difference. I, uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, Huh? How does this get automated? But I, that's where I go immediately because I'm a builder. <laughs> well, but I don't, I don't think you do necessarily automate it, right? It's because in the environment you talked about, we're in competitive in markets where, you know, I use an example of conversational intelligence just because it's a market so familiar with this. Yeah. Two, three years ago, there was maybe half a dozen companies in that space. Now there's 40 in yeah. that space. And so if you're a seller in that space and you're trying to, differentiate yourself it's not about the product i mean as challenger said it's about the buyer's experience with you as a seller yeah that becomes the tiebreaker and so well i think more automation comes into sales i think at the end of the day especially in complex b2b the human will always be the difference maker yeah yeah no i i i agree i think uh i think it's it's super interesting but the buyer's journey and and the buyer's criteria and what's important to them is uh is super super interesting yeah so let me run this by you i've got a a, i I like to simplify things you know for people take complex things make them simple so here's here's what i think the buying process is so i think it's three stages i call it the what the how and the who okay and when buyers first and the what stage they're not concerned about products all they want to know is they want sellers to help them define what the problem what the challenges are and what the outcomes are they can achieve by addressing them and i think in that early stage of their buying process it's just about ideas it's not about product if you come in and you start pitching at that stage you're pitching before you understand right yeah so what's what's the value and this is really where you're doing most of the qualification, not all of it, but a good chunk of the qualification is in that first stage. Yeah. And then when the buyers, the end result of that is that first stage is a shared understanding of what their challenges are and what the outcomes are they want to achieve. And then now you can start really co-creating with the buyer. You're going to the house stage. Now they're going into the market, even though they've been in the market before, but now more deliberately in the market, looking at the options and alternatives that are out there to help them achieve what they define in the what stage. Yeah. Now this is when you're influencing the trade-offs they make, right? Because so much of selling is, as I'm sure you know, is it's about trade-offs, right? I could do this or this. Well, which, which one's going to help me get closer to achieving what I want to achieve that's most important to me? 
And the third order decision the buyers make is the vendor. Who are we going to do it with? Yeah. But the sellers get so wrapped up at coming in up first and trying to say, look, we're the best. We've got the greatest. It's all about us. And it's like, well, buyer doesn't care at that point. Yeah. By the way, I like, I like the simplicity of that. And, and uh, I think um, I'll share, I'll add on top of it and just say, sure, I, think, I think it makes complete sense. And I, and I subscribe to what you just said. I think it's great. Now think about where the buyer and the seller meet and, and, and what's happening today is, uh, you know, a buyer event, a, a buyer will, will establish rapport relationship with someone in the what phase. And mm-hmm. that's where education community comes in. And, uh, and that's where champions are, they're learning, they're trying to suss out what's really going on. And that's the what, right? And so they may establish rapport, right? If I'm a salesperson, and I don't recognize where the buyer is in their journey, and mm-hmm. as you said, I'm trying to pitch them product, then I'm missing an opportunity to influence the how. Yep. Uh, because you could shape it because you could you could if you really know your product and you know your market and you can compare yourself against your competitors and you can do all that in your head in real time as as you're talking to a buyer uh, and that's hard automate hard to automate that because you're exactly you're, uh, and and then you get to the how and then the problem is they get to the vendor selection and then someone goes to the website of the other five companies they fill out a form for a demo request. And they've already got the what mapped out in their head. Maybe they've written it formally or informally. They probably already have a relationship with with someone that they like. And now they require to look at a few other players. Yep. Like, you know, that's that's very real. Like, look at I, I bet you there are a lot of companies out there that have poor win rates because they're not qualifying where the buyer is in the journey. And they're not exactly. you know, and they're not giving them the right seller. Right. Well, at, at the end of the house stage, the second stage, is the buyer's going to have a, a final sort of, we'll say a requirements document. Sometimes, you know, if it's a big competition you've been in, is they'll down-select vendors, they'll do an RFP to the final three with their final requirements. But what you want is, uh, a friend of mine described this way, is you want, you know, you want an Eli-sized hole in the requirements document. I mean, it fits right. you perfectly, right? Exactly. And that's that's the culmination of the house stage is you're doing the right job influencing the trade-offs they make. <laughs> There's an Eli-sized hole there that you fit right in. So when they get to the who's stage. Yeah, it's like, of course, we're going to go with, with whoever stands it or, or, or right. it, whoever it is, right? Doesn't yeah. matter. The vendor ABC, doesn't matter. Yep. Um, yep. So what's interesting is in this in this buyer's journey and with this simplistic model, I and I, I want to preface it in saying, like, I love – BDRs, SDRs, and I believe they are when when they're executing uh, uh, and they're mm-hmm. aligned with a go-to-market and they've got a specific, you know, kind of purpose in the motion. I think they they work hand in hand with these. It could be it could be incredible what you can accomplish, and I think right. it's amazing. Now imagine that I'm in the education phase and I meet an SDR in the process, and I'm having a Bant style conversation over email, and I just get turned off. Yep. And, and and I I believe so. We talk about the future of sales. I think SDRs uh, ultimately need to become subject matter experts in their domain. And 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 right, you you you. you I'm yeah, clapping. So. Yeah. So <laughs> so it doesn't disturb people. Yes, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. I I uh, and and so for example, you know, in our category, sales enablement, an SDR should be able to 
have a conversation about trends, insights, some best practices. Uh, and, and, and if there is a way to coordinate the handoff from an SDR to a, to a, to a, a subject matter expert, whether they're a solution consultant, that's okay, but that's hard to do. Uh, and, and so I'm maniacally focused on trying to elevate you know, the, the knowledge of my team. So that way they, everyone can be subject matter experts because people want to, because people don't know what they don't know yet. And, and, and they need to have thoughtful conversations. So uh, I'm glad that you well, agree with it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I just remember, I don't know, summer of 2020 or something, six months in the pandemic, whatever. It's one of the analyst firms releases this report that says, oh my God, we just a survey of buyers and they don't want to talk to salespeople anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, can we stop this please? First of all, yeah, in the history of mankind, I'm not sure a buyer's ever wanted to talk to a salesperson, but they need to talk to salespeople to the point you just made, right? If you're there to be able to help them better understand the problem they're trying to solve and the outcomes they can achieve, they need that help because you know, internally, they, they all know the same information. They need outside perspectives to help them. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we should better arm SDRs. With and AEs, obviously. And yeah, AEs, AEs, obviously. But to be able to do that, because, yeah, I talk to sales leaders at companies talk about, you know, we're having our SDRs do qualification. It's like, well, it's nothing against SDRs, but they don't know enough to really qualify a prospect. So what, when you're saying qualification, what are they doing? Qualifying for a demo? Yeah, okay. Right, right. Like, what is don't, that? Don't, don't kid yourself. That's qualification. Yeah, and the problem is, then you get on the call, and then the AE is like, "Well, wait a minute. What, what? A good AE at least will say, well, what? What are we demoing? Like, you've scheduled right. a demo meeting, and then you get on the call. Customer gets upset because they were told they're going to see a demo. Uh, and and, the, and anyway, yeah, there's a lot of friction there that uh, can that should be improved with a more uh, thoughtful go-to-market. And and I think back to your four things with if curiosity can be one of the go-to-market kind of values, I think that mm -hmm. would be a nice improvement in the industry. Yeah, was, there's been some interesting research that's been done about, and I, I, I see this in sales, and it's part of what I write about in my book is, is in society, we want people to conform. And so mm -hmm. people who are curious are considered disruptive. And so we train curiosity out of people. Yeah, you know, how many times growing up did maybe your parents say to you, enough with the questions, just do what you're told. Interesting. Right? And, and people get that message all the time at work, right? Here's, here's the process, here's the playbook, just do what you're told. Yeah. And it suppresses curiosity. So then we wonder why people get in front of prospects and they don't give free reign to their curiosity because they've been trained not to. It's super okay, interesting. I, I wonder, you know, I, I, I get the good fortune of working with some amazing companies. And, and when I work with companies, I'll sometimes sit in and listen to some of the calls or do interviews. Right. And, and I've always wondered, like, what happened here? Like, like they've forgotten all their sales training. They forgot the fundamentals of discovery. And, and, and it's almost like we have to reprogram to become curious again. And and you're right. We we are we we're, we're deprogramming people because we want folks to just do what you're told. It's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, and it's this is a unfortunately it's sort of a, a recurring trend in American society since we were founded as a country. I mean, there are commentators writing about this. I came across this. I was doing research for my book because yeah, you know, I, I urge people to blaze their own trail 
still be team, yeah, they gotta be good teammates, but still they have to become the best version of themselves. And there's yeah, people as far back as the 1820s, 1830s, you know, people, commentators, American society, were talking about this pressure to conform. And, yeah, no, it's super fascinating. And I think that exists in sales, right? Here's our process. Here's the playbook. Do this. Yeah. And I. I and then, by the that. way, by the way, then it then it kind of it carries because when you're working with a champion, if you're if you're if you're really good at your at your at your craft as a seller. And then you work with a champion and you've built trust, you've built rapport, you understand, you've really added a ton of value, you're giving them content and it's, and, uh, but then they don't want to, they, they're, they're conforming and then they're going to raise objections. Well, you can't talk to the economic buyer and, oh, we, the problem that you're, the way that you're, it'll never work here. And, and, and so it's just like this, these layers and layers yeah. of conformity. Well, that's, right. And that's part of, I think, what you're talking about as sellers, you got to be able to just serve, work your way through that. Right, you gotta yeah. work with people as individuals, humans. Uh, be courteous, be respectful. But hey, if this person's standing in the way of you talking to someone that's gonna mean whether you get the deal or not, make the right choice. Either way, you yeah, can do you it gotta you gotta do it politely. You gotta do it with class, yeah. and you gotta do right. it with compassion. And uh, but at some point, you know, if if yeah, because if you're not. Your competition, competition absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, I came of age back in the day when in the computer business, whereas you know everybody competed against IBM. And and if you're ever hesitant about going and talking to the C level, you just have to remind yourself. Well, you know, IBM was talking to them. Yeah, exactly. So you got to so, get there. You got to yeah, get there. Right, because if you weren't, you're gonna be left out. Very interesting. Exactly. Well, let's talk about win rates for a second. So we touched on before, but yeah, I, is it unrealistic to assume that companies, even software world, should be at a 50% win rate? Or the sellers should be at least individually start there and then? Well, I think I think when I look at the data and, and I'm seeing, you know, win rates in the low 30s, high 20s, and, and, and in some cases high teens, and, and it's tolerated, and there really isn't a strategy to go after improving it, it just feels like a complete waste of resources goes back to the brand, right? So how many bad conversations are happening? How many bad experiences are happening? Uh, so uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think there's a capacity issue. There's a pipeline issue. There's a scarcity versus abundance issue that's making me chase stuff. And and, and there's also just the question of what's the deal? And, right. and uh, you know, sometimes marketing will inflate pipeline. You know, hey, I, I, I've done that, you know, in the early years. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a really big deal. Right. And, and my, my chief sales officer is like, okay, Eli, like we're over that phase now. And, and, and here's, the, here's the criteria. So at least, but anyway, that's maybe, maybe that's TMI, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I was just reading a, a book a few months ago, uh, come out that surveyed like oh, 14,000 companies or something. Yeah and around the world and the B2B space and the average win rate on deals over a hundred contract value over a hundred K was 17%. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you were to look at the salesforce.com fields across every single deal in 21, and you were to look at the, you know, primary competitor, secondary competitor, competitor strategy, you probably would see a lot of blank fields. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you were to visit in and be a fly on the wall 
on deal strategy calls or RVP co- manager coaching calls. Right, right. And, 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 you know, at what point in time is there a real conversation happening around your competitive strengths and weaknesses and, and, and then applying, you know, kind of value differentiators at the strengths and against your competitive strengths because they're there. Right. And, and, right. you know, your competitors have some strengths that you don't have and, and you need to really understand the business and you need to be able to, to, to just highlight your value-based differentiators. And at the same time, when you do have weaknesses that you can exploit rather than bashing the competition, you should be curious and asking questions, getting back to your what, how, right? Like, well, you told me that what was really important to you was you needed ABC. And so let's just have a, like, how, how important is it? And and what happens to your business if you don't have ABC and you're right. kind of right. highlighting right. things. So I, I, I think I'm seeing, I'm seeing investment from VCs into competitive software, competitive intelligence, technologies and i can understand why and i think ultimately competitive battle cards and competitive win rates and all that that pillar will be a part of the space that we're in and and will become an important pillar and it's still maturing Uh, but i think it starts down forget automation like how many sellers are internalizing a strategy across their top two to three competitors how many sellers are actually having an open conversation with their champion you know how do we how do we compare and and just and 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 then taking the inputs, sharing it back with the team, and then doing a pursuit, doing a campaign around that. And how many managers are reinforcing? I I'd say not as many as there should be. And and that, those are some of the fundamental reasons why we're just not seeing the win rates where they should be in the business. Well, let me ask you another question, yeah. somewhat along the same lines, but is you know my frustrations is, and I may just have a different mindset in the way I looked at, and the way I was elevated and raised in sales, but is I was taught to be very self-aware or conscious about how I sold, what, mm. why I did what I did, why, what did, did it work, why it didn't work. You know, how was I being perceived by my buyers? And, and again, I address in my book is I don't, I don't think we're enabling sellers to think about them from mindset, just to have to be so intentional every time they're interacting with a buyer about you know how they're communicating how it's being received what they're saying the best way to do it the, how are they helping the the buyer make progress toward making a decision it's yeah it's too much sort of in their head robotic as opposed to like i said really you know understanding why it works for them yeah no it's interesting and so and so um yeah, no, I'm trying. I'm thinking about that that point. I think uh, the mechanics. You know, I think I think folks are in autopilot a lot. You know, I think they right. jump on calls and they're like, oh yeah, okay, let's let's get to a demo. Like, it kills me when I listen to calls and and not just not my calls per se, just broad based across the industry. Right. Or I see summaries. You know, you look at you look at stuff and it's just like, wait a minute here. Like, where's the agenda? Where's the rapport building? Where's the thoughtful discovery where is the conversational discovery like hey back to your let's have a discovery day right you get a call hey andy thanks for jumping on today excited to excited to to, to be here to get to know you a little bit but let's just start with what prompted you to uh, visit our website Mm -hmm. and let's just have a conversation well i'm trying versus like okay what can i tell you about our product you know or or uh, you know like like there's and maybe those aren't the best questions but you know what i mean right so i think Folks are on autopilot and, and, uh, and, and then you continue on, on just kind of the, 
what makes a great salesperson a salesperson is they're asking questions, they're being curious, back to curiosity, one of your pillars. And then, listen, it's so important that you get to that 25 minutes on the call, whether it's a 30-minute call or if it's a 40. Well, you're leaving time at the end, and you're thoughtful about that. You're not just racing to the last second. You're like, okay, wait a minute. We got like seven, eight minutes left. Why don't we recap what we heard? And let me just kind of share with you and you tell me if we're on track here and then we can kind of jointly decide if it makes sense. What, what makes sense for you as a business? I'm not even making assumptions on me. Right, like it right. just, and, 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 and then a good salesperson. And I can't, I don't understand why I have to remind people like same day, follow up meeting recap notes. I don't know why it doesn't happen. Like hello people like same day. And if, okay, within 24 hours, I get it. You're busy, kids, right. family, whatever. But like, Waiting because you're trying to drive, you're trying to help your buyers make a decision. And if you're not giving them the information that they need, your competitors will, they're going to go elsewhere to get it. And so figure out what they need and then give it to them in a timely fashion, in a professional manner. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, that's, yes. I mean, I was going to add to that on top of it is that, and I wrote this in my book, is is a seller should be able to, for every opportunity in their pipeline, be able to answer two questions. One is, what does the buyer need from us right now to move closer to making a decision? And in exchange for receiving that, what steps will they commit to take? And they, yeah, should, be able to answer, right. they should be able to answer those two questions about every opportunity in their pipeline. And if they can't answer it, then as a coach and as a manager, you need to say, well, then we're not ready to have that next engagement with them. We're not ready to have that call. We're not ready to send that email because we need to, we should be able to know that. Yeah. So I love those two questions. There's something else I love doing. I'm going to give you this one too. I think, uh, you know, when you're doing deal reviews or account reviews, I think uh, let's not even look at Salesforce. Um, And I know it's blasphemous. I'm saying that. (laughs) I love it. You know, Andy, do me a favor, draw the org chart for me. And, and, and that's it, right? Like you should be able to tell me how a deal gets done and why the deal is happening, who cares, who doesn't care, who's a friend, who's a foe, draw the org chart. And if, if a rep can't draw an org chart and, and intelligently and thoughtfully talk about who the players are and who cares about what, there's no deal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or, at least the, or at least the chances of getting one are slimmer. Yeah. Well, I remember with a client doing with the sales team, we're going to do account reviews. And yeah, this one seller brought up the laptop, powering up Salesforce. And I said, no, no, close the laptop. Yeah. And he couldn't do it without looking. And I'm like, just tell me what's going on. Life, life is not an open book test, right? Yeah. Especially in sales, right? You're in the moment. You need to be able to react. You're able to think, process information, synthesize information, respond intelligently, ask great questions. Yeah. If you can't, and you don't have that many deals to remember. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, back to what we said earlier, right? Like it's it's I got ten deals and and I've got a twenty percent win rate, right? It's it's yeah yeah. You should be able to be on top of all of them. Yeah, and also I think there's just something about, and this may sound old school or something, but yeah, it's like I don't know. People always talk about they get their best thoughts in the shower, right? I mean, if right. you're not if you just lock your deals away and you're not ever just letting them ruminate in the back of your head, you're gonna miss the opportunity to come up with something creative or unique or innovative that you could do or, you know, spot something that, that perhaps the customer said that came back to you. And I think, yeah, yeah, work-life balance, but you need to, you're in sales. You just have to have your deals sort of 
just sort of floating around there and be thinking about them. Yeah, you said the word creative, and I think it's an important word. Yeah. I think we tend to forget that, that you know, sellers are creating yep. an opportunity to help someone solve a problem in an innovative way. And uh, creativity is a very important skill. And I think right, uh, underrated. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's what kept me in sales for so long is, is doing fun, creative things, right? Talking yeah, to interesting absolutely. people with interesting challenges and trying to be a find creative ways to solve them. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I could have gotten a job doing something else. Maybe, maybe you got to add creativity as your fifth one in your next version. Next book. book. There we go. All right. Well, Eli, we've run out of time, but it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, people want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? Listen, if you've made it this far in the podcast, amazing. Thank you. And uh, I encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn. And hey, here's the secret. You got to use my email, E-L-A-Y, Eli at saleshood.com. And if you mention this podcast and say that, I will send you a signed copy of my book, Enablement Mastery. Oh, there you go. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Eli, thank you very much. Andy, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I can't wait to hear it again because uh, you said so much stuff that I, I learned from you so much today. So thank you, Andy. Oh, thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Eli Cohen, for sharing his insights with me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.